but every tunnel walk is like the it's separate movie you know how they have all those star wars movies so however many i i did it was different every time that i'm at a game i don't get to go much but when i you know when i see it i don't miss it you know because it brings back memories but it's just a part it's a part of nebraska it's just like the sellout streak or anything else or the you know releasing of the blooms and stuff like that it's just a it's a big part of nebraska history and um something obviously i never forgot This is the Boys Down Bad podcast, and we are honored to welcome on a true Nebraska football legend, a three-time national championship winner, a Buckus Award semifinalist, and a fifth-round pick by the Buffalo Bills in 1999. Give it up for Jay Foreman. Yeah. Hey man, that's about as much as applause I need these days, man. That, 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 that's uh, you know, when you almost get to fifty, you know, it, it's all good, man. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. And I want to say before we get started, I followed you guys like I think from your very first one. You know what I'm saying? And you guys have done well, man. Keep up with you guys. I know we were going to try to hook up last year and do it. That's on me. But you, you know, I like the uh, stick to itness. If that's a Word, you guys have done really good, man. I'm looking to, you know, see how far you guys could take it as well. Hey, we appreciate we it. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on. We're super excited to talk to you today. We got a lot of football to cover, but first I was going through all your social medias. You're a pretty big golf guy, aren't you? I like, well, I don't play as much as because the body's broke down, but uh, I like to watch. And, uh, you know, you know, the one thing about sports, you know, I guess most professional athletes, they really like the sports that they can never play. Uh, so for me, it was basketball and obviously golf after I like to watch it. I was a big Tiger Woods fan, but a big uh, golf fan in general. So uh, it's a good week. You know, it's Masters week and it's Easter. So it's uh, th- this is like a, uh, you know, pre Father's Day for me that I get the weekend to watch the, the real guys do it. Absolutely. That was my next question. Do you have a uh, Masters pick for us? I normally would say Scotty Scheffler, but I think the Masters is hard to re- repeat. And, uh, you know, I want to do the asterisks. If Jason Day stays healthy, I think he can do it. You know, I think he's starting to come into form. And generally, who's been playing well recently, um, I think he he do well. Um, you know, Scotty Scheffler is tough, man. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a dude that's the real deal. But I, I I'm really pulling for Rory. It'd be cool to see him get the Grand Slam. Um, but either either way, I, you know, hopefully it just comes and gets exciting on that back nine on Sunday, and that's the you know that's what everybody tunes in for. On on Sunday Sunday evenings. Yeah, we were we were just talking. You said Jason Day has no chance. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I well, he's, he's heard... always hurt, man. You know, my man. He, you know, he'll go he'll go play a tournament sixteen under, get out there, take one swing, and then he looks like me. And then he's done for like two years, <laughs> man. We we gotta get him a back brace or something, man. You know, he's a little brittle little dude, man. We gotta get you gotta get some toughness, get him some milk. Yeah, I I heard him talking. I didn't love what I was hearing, so I don't know. Oh, <laughs> Jason Day, but if he's healthy. Never yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. you know, golf's one of those things you got to speak it into existence. So if he's speaking it into uh, into the ground, then uh, you know, then we might have to change my pick. Hey, you never know. We love it. Um, so let's start our football talk with your career. Um, can you tell us how you originally got to Nebraska and how your commitment story went? Uh, you know, it was a little little odd story. You know, oddly enough, I grew up. Uh, obviously my dad played, you know, obviously, you know, pretty stellar career should be in the hall of fame. Hopefully here pretty soon. 
So, um, and, you know, uh, Monty Kiffin, who was the original, you know, originator of the black shirts, you know, was a defensive coordinator for the Vikings. So I grew up with uh, Lane Kiffin, you know, so I knew Lane, Lane ain't changed a bit. So that's the way he's always been. And so I always tell people, me and Lane were the OGs of the uh, ball boys. And then Larry Fitzgerald took it. Now he's he's a Hall of Famer. So we we the OGs of that. Um, But, you know, to be honest with you, I was, uh, you know, my dad never really put pressure on me. And I, you know, you know, I was a good football player and never went to any camps. So I wasn't getting, I was getting recruited, but not really that, that tough. And Lane Kiffin's high school, you know, had Lane who actually, you know, obviously went division one. They had two other division one guys that went to Minnesota. And then one more that went to uh, an Ivy league school, but he definitely could have went, you know, power five, what they call it today. So they were pretty loaded. And uh, so we played them on homecoming and uh, I wasn't getting a lot of notice, you know, just kind of really, to be honest with you, it was like North Dakota state and stuff like that and you know a couple little you know you know i call them uh copy and paste letters where they just get into stamping it you know it didn't have any original signatures on it from like kansas state and missouri yeah. nothing that i'm really uh was like, excited about and even minnesota wasn't recruiting me so we're playing them on their homecoming and it's a pretty you know it's minnesota it's a, it's a cold game and nick saban's there uh coach osborne or nebraska or actually it was coach young uh, all the big 10 schools were there. And I asked my coach, I say, hey, man, are they, <laughs> are they there to see me? You know, I'm thinking I'm pretty good. You know what I mean? And he was like, nah, but if you want to get noticed tonight's the night, baby, you know what I'm wow. saying? Yeah. So I was like, Oh, say less, you know, like they say today, say less, you know, things went out there and I've been playing good, but you know, not really getting a lot of tread. And that's their, you know, Lane's high school was the one that was thought of as, you know, they're good at everything and went out there and, you know, I hit them boys up for about 180 on the ground, a pick, knocked a couple dudes out. And yeah, next thing you know, love that. Hey, next thing you know, come Monday, coach Osborne with his old dry cell. Hey, uh, Jay Foreman, this is coach Osborne. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like you played a good game. I was like, finally. And it kind of took off from there. And, uh, you know, my dad had went to Miami in 1968. So he was the first, his class was the first class that they, you know, were, you know, African-Americans were allowed to go to Miami and all my uncles went there. So I, I grew up as a Miami fan. Um, so kind of like they offered me at the beginning of uh, recruitment, never really heard from them. But then, you know, then it kind of took off after that Nebraska game. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. I want I really liked Michigan state. I really liked, uh, Northwestern had Gary Barnett at the time. Um, you know, a funny story about that is, you know, Northwestern's there and, you know, that was the year they went to the Rose bowl and they had, you know, I was like, Oh, they got, you know, Chicago, they got, they had these black uniforms. I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Right. And so I said, Hey coach, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a B student. You know what I mean? I'm a B okay. That's it. I said, hi, you know, you know, the pressure is ramped up on this ACT that I'm about to take. So, you know, how you, you know, how are you going to get me in? You know what I mean? The Northwestern, I'm thinking it's Stanford. And he was like, look, man, we'll get you in. Right. And I was like, oh, I just sat back. I'm like, cool. You'll get me in. My dad stood up was like, yeah, but how are you going to keep them in there? Cause you know, he knew it was gonna be too hard. <laughs> um, so that, that was pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, coach Osborne and those guys were coming for their in-home visit right after. Mm-hmm. And, and they were on, they were leaving the next day, I think to go down to the orange bowl to play Florida state. 
good visit. And, you know, he really knew everything about my dad and about my grandfather, you know, that played baseball in the Negro League. So he knew about my whole family history. My uncle that wanted to come to Nebraska but played at Cincinnati. He was an offensive lineman. So he kind of chipped away at my dad, you know, and um, and really did a good job. Him, Coach Brown, Coach Young, you know, rest in peace. And, you know, then I came down on a visit and I loved it. And, uh, you know, I wanted, you know, originally was thinking I wanted to go to Miami, but then I'm thinking, you know, Nebraska, you know, winning all the time, going to a good bowl game. You know, really my expectations coming to college was to get a good education, work as hard as I can, not have any regrets, and hopefully play by my senior year. <laughs> in college and uh, you know obviously worked out a little bit better than that but it wasn't the it wasn't the former NFL superstar son's recruitment but I wouldn't change it for the world what was it like growing up with uh, a dad who is so highly touted as a football guy like was was football your dream since you were young no you know to be honest with you basketball was like you know my dad first of all I always mess with him was like uh, you know my dad was a world-class athlete you know he went to the uh, Olympic trials and the 300 IM hurdles and you know he was a phenomenal athlete and I'm the runt of the family you know I'm 6'2 and my dad everybody else is 6'3 and above and you know so <laughs> forth and so on so you know me and him grew up and um you know it wasn't easy you know just because of the pressure you know but I was a basketball player and then my dad broke it down to me. And I remember Cincinnati was recruiting me with Wichita State and uh, Temple, you know. And I remember reading an article in Sports Illustrated about Temple where John Chaney was making, they'd had to ride the subway at 4.30 for 6 o'clock practice. Hey, <laughs> a bro, you know a brother like to sleep in. I'm like, nope, <laughs> right? And then uh, Cincinnati, they had like Nick Van Exel and those dudes. And, I, and my dad was like, hey, look, man, you know, you could our uh, basketball. You okay, but. You ain't at you ain't you ain't there, man. This football thing is easy. This is legacy. So then, uh, you know, so we it brought us together, you know, pretty tight. You know, we you know we had to go through the ups and downs, and it, you know I didn't really get to live the, I guess childhood like everybody else. But you know, me and my dad's bond, uh, you know, was pretty strong, and um, you know it, it made me have to mature and see things that maybe normally wouldn't be exposed to. But I think that also helped me make a transition into college better. You know what I mean? I knew about expectations. I knew about I can't do the same things that the regular student couldn't do. You know, I can't, you know, so I think, it, you know, as much, and many times it was, it's tough because people, you know, either are jealous or just don't want you to succeed. I think it really, you know, made me focus and really helped me out, you know, both in college and after that. Awesome. Yeah, so we see a lot of like what goes on on recruiting visits nowadays. It's really flashy. It's pictures. It's uniforms. What were recruiting visits like when you were being recruited? Man, when I came to Nebraska, that was like my first big one, you know, and I went on an unofficial to Miami. My grandma had bought me this red sweater, man. I don't ever want, don't ever, I don't, I don't have any pictures of it. So it was like a red, it was like a red cashmere sweater. So I just, like, I think I played basketball game. So I had a white shirt on, black tie, red cashmere sweater. So I came down here, man, looking like, you know, I went to like prep school and everybody <laughs> else had jeans on and sweatshirts. And it was good. It was cool, man. It was like, uh, you know, I kind of kept to myself. So it came out, they take you out a little bit, show you around campus and uh, show you, you know, some good times. Went to a couple of parties, nothing big. Um, and then they take you around the academics and stuff. We didn't have it, what they have now, pictures and stuff like that. Um, but what I really liked about Nebraska is that they, you know, academics was huge uh, for, the, for you know, in their program. I think they, you know, really put an emphasis on that and were serious about it. 
And uh, I felt like, you know, getting into the weight program, it would it would help me out because I never I never lifted weights until I got here. And so Hmm. I knew I knew um, I knew I had, you know, a lot to do, you know, to catch up. But I felt like it was this is the place for it. And Nebraska was already, you know, well ahead of everybody in their weight program. Uh, But they're fun, man. You know, like I I went um, to Wyoming, uh, you know, because I had a friend that played out there. There was no chance I was going. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he was an all-american receiver out there but they took us way up in these mountains and we went snowmobiling that was probably cool you know i went to michigan state and i uh, went to wisconsin you know I, you know i did everything i had it, it, i'll tell you like this it goes everywhere from pg to x-rated type of stuff like on these recruiting visits but uh you know it, it, you know nebraska was a place for me you know five and a half hours from minneapolis um and uh, you know a powerhouse and you know to be honest with you now that we're in the big 10 you know, my second choice was Iowa. Um, and I, I was on a recruiting visit with Tim Dwight. And here's the difference that it came down to. Coach Osborne's playing for the, his first national championship where they end up not, obviously not winning, uh, which probably sh- they should have, you know, won that game with Florida State, you know, refs or whatever. Yep. Hayden Fry is the head coach at Iowa. They're not even going to a bowl game. Coach Osborne came to my house, into my school. Hayden Fry didn't the difference between a champion and a chump. And that's why, you know, I have the distinct hatred for Iowa. Uh, but, uh, you know, I almost went there, but I think Nebraska is obviously the best choice for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, so obviously a big thing that has come to the game over the past couple of years is NIL. Um, what are your thoughts on NIL? Do you think it's helping um, athletes and grow the game or do you think it's kind of kind of hurting college football? I think it's doing both. You know, I think that it's it's really good for players to be able to, you know, to benefit off of their, you know, name, image, and likeness. Um, and I think it's long overdue. I felt like if it was really handled, even back when I played, just think of Tommy Frazier, the Peter brothers, and Grant Wistrom, Mike Roger, all those guys, if you'd had something in place then, we wouldn't have the problems right now. But, you know, now it's like a free-for-all. So, I'm all for the players of being able to benefit of it. And I feel like it, look, if they're paying, you need to go play, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but I think the negative part is it's taken away from the team concept because sometimes players are more focused on that versus playing. And you see it, you know, in every single sport, you might have a good year at Nebraska, or just say you have a good year at, well, even at Nebraska, or you have a good few games at Nebraska. Then all of a sudden you start looking around for other places. So the loyalty is gone. Now, granted, there is no loyalty, especially in the NFL, which I, you know, obviously grew up in. But in college, you know, especially say like if I was from Nebraska and I have an NIL deal that's, you know, I can sleep good at night and I can expand on that. Chasing a couple extra dollars isn't very smart considering I can make a legacy here. So I think that's what's really hurting it. And I think a lot of guys are, getting overpaid for not doing anything um again i I, look if somebody was going to offer me a whole bunch of money i I mean i'm going to take it but uh i think you know there's a little bit of lack of return on investment so i think if there was some sort of structure in there i know you can't do pay for play but like a step process or something i think it'd be better but ultimately look it is where it is i hope that what these nil companies are teaching these players to set themselves up for the future because if you compare a kid that say he gets he makes three hundred thousand dollars four hundred thousand dollars nil money at a college he's 50 steps ahead of somebody that went to school for six years 
you know, yeah. even if they went to medical school or then, you know, go to be a dentist, you know, they're, they're starting in debt. You're starting way ahead, regardless if you make it to the NFL. So, you know, if you're going to do it, I, I think, you know, that can separate, you know, you from, you know, say two schools, we got something in place for you right now. You, you know, you can kind of go out and do your, you know, have money that, you know, you're, you're, you got in your pocket, but we're really setting you up because we care for you. So I think if, you know, if you could get some sort of partnership that way, I think it would change the landscape of NIL. And then also I think it would change the mindset of the players um, and, and not be so focused on themselves. Yeah. hundred percent. Those are good points. Yeah. And one, you kind of talked about a couple of guys of the guys that you played with, if they play in the era now with NIL, who's going to be making the most money? <laughs> oh, uh, well, I mean, of course, you know, Tommy Frazier, it was probably the greatest quarterback in Nebraska history he would do well just because he's Tommy and especially with the way the game's played now, that's pretty much, you know, the way he played defensively, I'd probably say, you know, the, yeah, the Peter brothers, you know, they, you know, Peter built and stuff like that. Uh, Grant Wistrom and then the Ralph and Mike Brown, you know, cause the Brown, you know, Brown brothers. Um, and then I think a lot of the, the you know, the pipeline would have done well, you know, cause of the offensive line. And then, uh, like Terrell Farley because he had that unique personality, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, I think guys would have had a nice little deal, you know, for and I think everybody would have benefited for it from it. And the one thing I think we would have done is made sure everybody else was taken care of. You know, I think that you know that was one of the things that really separated us. We always looked out for each other, but you know, I think those guys with big personalities would have done well, and uh, they were great players as well. Mm-hmm. I guess kind of when you were talking about guys might be looking out for themselves with NIL, how much could that really like hurt a locker room? Say of like, maybe like in Alabama where, you know, Bryce Young's making millions and right. you know an offensive tackle might be making a hundred thousand. That's a huge difference. How much right. can that really like hurt a team? I think the, I think it doesn't hurt a team like that because those guys know, pecking order they know and they and Bryce Young is the you know the best quarterback in the in the in the nation so I don't think that there's any jealousy there and plus those guys are there to play football first NIL is secondary whereas like I think if you're at a school that is isn't winning you know NIL can become the focus because it's an easy soft landing spot you know what I mean you go out there and get your butt kicked but man I got a ten thousand dollar appearance here coming up on Monday everything's all good losing isn't that bad right yeah whereas alabama every game is you're playing you're, you're playing in the pressures for all the marbles so your mindset is so fixated on the team end goal what you're getting paid isn't first in it first on your mind so i think it just depends on the team and it t- depends on the leadership and if you have player i'm gonna tell you like this the sure there might be there might be some jealousy because of course you know if somebody was making a million bucks, you know, I feel like I'm, if I'm the best linebacker, I feel like I could get a million. But also, I think if guys are good players, good teammates, good people, they don't mind it, especially when you have a quarterback making that type of money, if that's the case. 100%. Um, all right, so we got to talk about your national championships. Obviously, you're a part of three national championship teams. Which was your favorite and why? Oh, that's a hard question. Man, that's a great question. That's a hard <laughs> question. Man, uh, 95, I think, is the best team ever, ever assembled, right? Mm-hmm. I was, and I was a starter. But 97, I was a factor. Mm. 
Um, so I, I would say 97, just because I was a junior. Um, I've been through some, some, you know, some situations. Um, I was a big factor. I was a secondary leader, essentially a captain the next year. And that, that was a team where I felt like, well, 95 was great as well, but I was a young pup, man. You know, to be honest with you, I was a starter out there, but I'm gonna tell you guys something, man. I was scared as I'll get out every game because all I didn't want to do is make, I want to make the plays that I need to make. Okay. And not be a, you know, a minus out there. I want to be a factor and get out the way and let the, like, let them, you know, the older guys eat. So it's a little bit different. You know, I think 95 is the best team I've ever been on. Uh, obviously in college, but 97 probably meant a little bit more because, you know, you win two, lose 96, Felt like I shouldn't have had to have been a co-starter in 96. I think I, I was driven to another level as far as intensity. And to be able to be a part of it, I think probably 97 right. probably ranks up there a little bit higher. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and then Coach Osborne, what was it like playing for him? And then I guess what what's something we obviously know he's such a great coach. What was it that some people might not know that he did so well? Uh, you know, playing for coach Osborne, you know, when you're playing for him, you just look at him as coach. Uh, but as I've gotten older, you realize he was like a father figure, you know, for me and what he meant to me, uh, can't really put in words. Um, you know, he, I'll tell you like this, you didn't want to disappoint him, but man, yeah, I would run through a brick wall for him any day of the week. You know what I'm saying? Um, I would say this playing for coach Osborne, he was, you know, he was hard on us, but he was extremely fair. Um, a funny story about him, man. We were come, we used to walk back from uh, the Cook Pavilion over to the regular stadium, and man, it was hot as all get out. And I'm, you know, coming from Minnesota, and I remember, man, I could barely pick my feet up. I'm tired as all get out. Coach Osborne about to go for his workout. I said, "Dang, Coach," I said, "You got it out of us today. You broke. You breaking us down. You bringing us to the brink of destruction." <laughs> he looks at me and he's like, "Yeah." He's like, by, by that first game, I'm going to have you built back up, though, and then just start running, took off on me, man. I was like, you know what? He's all right. The one thing I would say about Coach Osborne is that uh, he was somewhat of a prophet. You know, he kind of kept everything simple. And the one thing I, I learned from him is that he said it's easy to be a leader when everything's going good. But what type of leader are you when you got to look in, down, you know, the barrel of the storm? And, uh, you know, are you gonna you going to put it in neutral or are you going to put it in, you know, overdrive and i never forgot that and uh some of the lessons i learned from him and the situations that you know he put us in you know i still draw back on to this day so what he's done is a lifelong uh and i'm myself and many players to tell you this lifelong of leadership you know from him and he cared about all of us as well and that's something that really stuck out to me uh as well it's awesome um so one of my favorite things obviously being a husker fan and going to games since i was a kid is the tunnel walk um, I just get chills every time I'm there watching it. Did the tunnel walk ever get old or did you get no. as amped up every time you walk through? I'm telling you what, every tunnel walk is like the it, separate movie. You know how they have all those Star Wars movies? So however many I, I did, it was different, you know, and you, from your first one and then, you know, you're, you know, always to your last one, which you never forget. It's, it's its own animal because, you know, you see, you you know, see different people as you're walking out there you know as you get older you kind of get up closer to the front of the line um and you know what's more important to you when you're a younger player are you just hyping up the crowd or is that kind of like when you start to lock in then my senior year I'm a captain 
So I'm out there and now I'm seeing everybody else in the position that I was in for the last three years. It's definitely, uh, you know, a, a great tradition. You know, we were the first ones with the jumbotron and all that stuff. And every time that I'm at a game, I don't get to go much, but when I, you know, and I see it, I don't miss it, you know, because it brings back memories, but it's just a part, it's a part of Nebraska. It's just like the sellout streak or anything else, or the, you know, releasing of the balloons and stuff like that. It's just a, it's a big part of Nebraska history and um, something that obviously I never forgot. What was your first tunnel walk like? Was it just insane? It was insane, man. It was like in slow motion, you know, and, and uh, you know, it was exciting because, you know, I was a red shirt, so I got to see it. But then when you get to live it, you know, you, you know, it's a big party. You're getting ready for a game. And, uh, you know, I was starting as a redshirt freshman. So, you know, you, you don't, you know, I'm trying to enjoy the, you know, participate in the tunnel walk, but I got to get laser like focused because the defense might be up first mm-hmm. um, and everything goes in slow motion. And then once you get kind of right and then you, they introduce you and then the crowd goes bananas and uh, you know, it, it's awesome, man. And then sometimes you see some, you know, what's really cool um is, you know, I remember there was a kid, I actually met him later as he was an adult. His name was Kyle. I saw him when he was a little, you know, every year I'd see him, he'd be in the same spot. Like at one point in time during the year, he kept getting bigger, 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 you know? And so it's <laughs> pretty awesome. cool to, you know, when you go through and you, and you go through it because it's a fan experience, but it's the players, it's a big deal, man. And, uh, you know, that's a part of, you know, being on the, uh, you know, the varsity or whatever you want to call it in the trial squad. That's awesome. Yeah, so obviously you have three national titles. Is there one moment that's like your favorite memory as a Husker other than those three, or is it one of those three national titles? Oh, I mean, those are obviously, you know, the the jubilation and the when you win it all and you play for it. There, I mean, I'll tell you like this, that, you know, there is nothing like preparing for a big game. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean – the bigger the game, the better I liked it. I liked it. I want you at your best. And so, you know, when you hit the pinnacle and you the jubilation of doing it and completing it with your teammates, it's just that feeling of walking in the locker room. It's not that I did it. It's we did it, you know. And so those are the, the memories that stick out the most. But one of the coolest memories I ever had, we were down at the Fiesta Bowl and I was, we, we beat the brakes off of Florida. So the game's always a formality, you know, we're up 62 to whatever, you know, we just, you know, we thinking about like, we're going to be able to hit the club or, you know, <laughs> and you know, when you're out there, you know, we already knew we had won probably like midway through the third quarter. I mean, I get a tap on my shoulder. My dad's out there and we got a cool picture together, man. And so it was kind of like, you know, it was, it was like everything came full circle. You know, you asked about what it's like growing up. It's, it was as much as a national championship for him as me just because of you know we were you know in it in it together so that's probably the coolest moment i had uh that was the first one or the second one and then when we beat tennessee he had he had came in the locker room and brought you know one of my little neighbors or our neighbor from back home you know was down there on a family vacation in the locker room got to take pictures and stuff so we've had some pretty cool father-son moments in those championship moments and those are things you never forget absolutely that's super cool so Thank you for sharing about your uh, experience as a Husker. Let's talk about the team this year. Um, obviously, new coach, Coach Rule. What were your initial thoughts on the hire, and have those thoughts changed at all through uh, spring start the start of spring ball? Uh, I mean, I was well. I mean, first, you know, look, Matt Rule has a, uh, you know, his his resume of you know coming in and and uh you know turn around some things obviously he's done it at two different places in two different situations and so you know he's a good co- he's a good coach you know i mean there's no doubt about it um 
I knew a little bit more about them than say the regular fan or alumni is because one of my best friends uh, was on his staff in Temple, uh, was a GA for him and spoke highly of him, spoke highly of his uh, attention to detail and his ability to motivate different types of players, his eye for talent, you know, as far as to go and see a guy and develop him and have a plan in place for each individual player. Um, I felt early, uh, early along in the process that he was somebody that they would look at, you know, just because of, you know, again, his resume, um, how he could probably fit, you know, he, he played at Penn state kind of like Nebraska. Um, so I didn't really have a problem with it. You know, I just want to win <laughs> or, you know, I want them to win. I, I mean, I want enough. I mean, you know, so, you know, I don't really care who, who, uh, you know, uh, is the coach, you know, really, you, you know, my initial thoughts was just pure disappointment from before. I mean, that's it. You feel let down, disappointed, you know, you wish it worked. It's a former teammate, regardless if your best friends with him, colleague or whatever. Look, dude, this is, it is not that hard. You got, you got the world at your hands here and it didn't work out. So when Matt came in, I was like, yeah, I, I can see why they, you know, why we hired him. And then, uh, you know, what I really, you know, see now is like he has a plan in place, went out and got right after it, brought in some new players. Um, he, you know, it seems that, you know, like I can only go off right now. It seems like he has a plan and a type of player in a, you know what I mean? So, you, you know, every guy, you know, look, everybody that they bring in isn't going to pan out. I mean, that's just pure numbers, but you can say, okay, I can see why I can see, I can see why Matt rule and staff got him, you know what I mean? Or went after him. And then he's came in. It seems like he, you know, the accountability is, is, is went ramped up. Right. Um, everybody's going to come to work. Everybody's going to earn something. It's going to mean something to you. So those are the same type of things that we did. You know, granted we were farther along, obviously it's been ingrained in Nebraska for like 20 some years before I even stepped on campus. But I think what he's trying to do is, you know, get some just the, you know, the details and the in the in the basics under control and then let the athletic ability go. So, you know, I think as he's went on, um, I think he's done a, you know, a phenomenal job. I mean, you can't you can't deny that he hasn't, you know, been working. I know he said that that's his job, but let's be honest. I mean, it's 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 it is his job, but he's doing his job. So that's why it's a, I think it's such a breath of fresh air. Uh, you know, for a lot of people like, oh man, he's, you know, he's, I mean, you know, yeah, he's out in public a lot, but you know what? He's at schools. He's talking to people. He's, he's meeting coaches. He's make he's creating relationships with people that hadn't been there. And um, so he's doing a good job of representing Nebraska. And I think his expectations of the players are a lot higher than maybe they had before. And, you know, obviously, you know, Saturdays, you know, is going to be huge, but I think up until now he's done everything that he was assumed to do. And then some. Yeah, so what does Rule kind of need to do or need to show in year one to really get Husker fans who were maybe on the fence about the Matt Rule hire all the way bought into him in the program? Right. You know, I think it, there's nothing wrong for fans to be on the wait and see. That's fine. You know, they, you know, really a lot of, especially guys, you know, kids, you know, fans your age, you, you guys have been through a lot. You, I'm sitting up here at three national championships, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. and uh before i even stepped on campus you know 19 i think 83 they should have probably won it 93 they should have won it they were probably in the you know they won two in 70 you know in the 70s so you know like my experience is different than yours so i understand for fans to be in wait and see um i think the expectations should be you know see the identity that matches up with, or identity matches up with what you know they've said and set forth and then see consistent improvement 
and that's it. And, and, and obviously win games. I mean, look, we can't, we, we, you know, going one and 11, that's not going to be, you know, that's not good enough. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, consistent improvement and when, you know, more, when, you know, six or more games, I think, you know, people could see where we're going. I think direction, you know what I'm saying? And direction is, you know, clear direction, clear identity has been articulated. Now you just need to see it come to fruition. The biggest thing also is as you start to go, then just make sure you always self-evaluate and be able to adjust. And I think that's what his experience, hopefully from the NFL has done is, is learn from that, bring it to here. And uh, hopefully, you know, you know, this thing takes off pretty quick. Absolutely. A word that's thrown around a lot um, is when a team is struggling is culture. Like we got to come right. in, we got to get a guy who's going to change the culture. What does culture mean to you? And how does a coach actually change that? Because as a fan, you hear we need to change the culture. Okay. What does that mean? Right. It, I mean, I think it's like every two or three years, it's like the catch word, right? Remember it was identity for a while, culture and all that. I think really what it is, is game plan, accountability, um and follow through and you know granted you know all that stuff will kind of you know is all encompassing right so if you come in and you know you're you're you know you're, you're clear with your message you're going to hold them accountable you're going to work them hard you're going to lay out the plan for what what's you know set forth you're around you're accessible it changes the culture because it's like every single day you're infusing your culture into their veins right so if I only see you guys once or twice and I say, man, I want you guys to be up at seven o'clock, right? Tomorrow you'll be up at seven. Five weeks later, you'll get up at eight, nine 30. Cause I'm not ever around, but I'm there every morning at seven. That's in your veins, right? That's who you are. That's, that's changing who you are, the expectations. So if you do that early, right. And even be a little bit harder and early stickler for the rules, you can always loosen up later. So I think that's what the culture is. And then really what people would need to understand, this is just my personal opinion, football players and athletes in general generally adapt to their environment. You know what I'm saying? So if you're trying to change the culture to what you know what works, regardless of what it is, and you're consistent with it, then it's gonna then it's gonna go to that, you know, that way. Now look, if it's if it's not working, you need to wiggle a little room, but you gotta get it going, you know, you know, to a certain direction. And you got to weed out the guys that aren't, you know, that are here just to be, you know, I guess the guys that are okay, just being okay. Those are the guys you ain't going to win with the guys that want to be the best that they can be and be better and work at it every day. And, and football means something to you. Um, then those are the guys that'll be in the culture. And look, listen, there, it, when we play, we had guys that we had to straighten up. We did. We, I mean, that's just, that friction is a good thing, right? But when friction turns into fraction in a, in a fractured team, that's when it's not good. So, you know, yeah, we were able to win national championships. By no means was it a perfect hunky-dory locker room and everybody liked each other, right? But when the, when the lights came on, I won't let nobody mess with anybody in that locker room. And so once you guys go through it and you create that kind of togetherness of hard work, accountability, you know, us over them, us against the, whatever it is, then, you know, then, then, then say I'm in the locker room, you two are recruited. I'm articulating this is how it's got to be. You come to the Nebraska, you adapt to what we're doing, right? You know the standard when we come in. So essentially you'll start to see, say, oh, that's a Nebraska player. Yeah. That's a, you know, you know, Nebraska, you know, you'd always know what a Nebraska running back looked like or lineman looked like a DN. 
then you're then you'll be well on your way obviously you know that's very true how long do you think that takes to implement into a team obviously it's not going to be right away and that's right. what fans want and that's what they've always wanted so, right yeah <laughs> hey <laughs> man hey hey man right away that's what we want Right. I know everybody, I wish we could give everybody a magic pill and, you know, look, everybody hates talking about the nineties. Not so bad. I don't, the nineties, you know, 94, 95, 96, 97 was a product of 90, 91, 92, 93. It takes some time, but what that's what you asked me, what we'd like to see. You'd like to see incremental changes over time. Right. And then everything is like, you know, does winning cure that? Sure. It helps. But you, but you got to win, you know, kind of the right way, you know, you know, and so, you know, consistency is what you're going to need. Uh, and that changes the culture. Will it be done, you know, after week two or three? No. Will it be done after, you know, year one? No, but you'd like to see year one or different between year one to year two to year three. And then once you kind of get rolling, then, then you'll know what's up and, and you'll, you'll, you'll see it and you'll be able to be, when you guys watch games, I watch games, you already know kind of what you're going to get. Now teams going to have to play, say exponentially well to beat us or we have a bad game then you have that bounce back percentage that you know you're not going to play bad for two or three games or the same mistakes from year one are happening at the even a higher rate in year three you know that's that's all about culture it's how you go to work every day it's how you even go to school it's how you dress it's how you present yourself to people it's how i you know you interact with you know anybody that you meet it's a way of life you know what I mean? You can't just come to practice and decide to work hard and then go to school and be like, now nah, I want to do it. It's just, you're, you're a competitor. That's awesome. Yeah. Has there been like one thing or one guy that's really stuck out to you through spring ball yet? Um, you know, I think the guy, yeah, I'll say this. I think the guy that I'm most excited to see is Jamar Butler, right? I think he's a, he could be a good bridge from the old staff to the new, I think he's a guy that's kind of been waiting his turn. You know, you had three guys that are potentially going to NFL ahead of him before. He has competition in from like MJ Sherman and a lot of the guys like Waylon, you know, and then um, Chief Borders and all those guys. But uh, one thing about Jamari is I like he's not afraid of competition because he very easily could have stayed in the portal and went someplace. But he's here, he's making a name for himself. So he's the guy that's probably been the most impressive. I know, you know, the, the offensive guys and all that stuff, that's – you know, I'm going to go with defensive guys because that's how you're going to win. But I think he's a guy that if everything goes right now, and, and, and hopefully he plays the way I think he can play, he could be a foundation piece to, you know, build upon with Matt Rule, where it's like he's a guy that was here before. Oh, he got the most out of him. And then next thing you know, you're talking about Jamari Butler, you know, having a pretty good year. Absolutely. So, I mean, we are fans who like to jump right in and drink the Kool-Aid. Um, are you buying in? Like, what's your prediction for next year, realistically? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm not a big Kool Aid drinker. You know, I think in the off season, I mean, we haven't played back football since right after Thanksgiving, uh, which was great. You know, anytime that um, you know you can beat Iowa, that's good because it hadn't been too. Uh, first of all, I had a great time on Facebook. One of my good friends is an Iowa fan. I literally spent the next six days checking in on him because he didn't know how to handle the loss. <laughs> Um, and also I want to say, you know, Mickey Joseph and staff did a really good job of setting Matt rule up and staff up with the culture change. You know what I mean? On the fly. I think, I think next year you're going to see some good things from this team and it's going to be a byproduct of that. And then Matt rule adding on to it. So, you know, you, whether he gives credit, I want to give credit to it. 
Um, as far as the record, you know, I think they're going to win, you know, I'd expect six or more wins, you know, seven and five, eight and four. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a unique year to kind of have a good record with the amount of turnover in the big 10 West. And I'm talking about turnover, not only the coaching, coaching, you know, changes at Purdue and Wisconsin and Brett Bielema is still young or still new at Illinois. Northwestern is really struggling. So really it's Iowa and Minnesota, but it's also identity changes at Purdue and Wisconsin. You know what I'm saying? So Brom and his play calling is gone. His quarterback's gone and their number one receiver. Walters is maybe going to change it to more Illinois. Wisconsin's trying to go to more pass and kind of like Cincinnati. It takes time, right? So if you have if you have a good offseason, you know what hopefully Nebraska's doing, you can get some wins and then you then you're talking about culture. Then you're going to really you think fans are going to really really want it like right now. <laughs> then the Kool-Aid ain't just going to be like, you know, you know 10 liters or 10 10, you know, 10 you know 10 fluid ounces it's going to be gallons of kool-aid out there so i think it's a good year to you know step out they got to get out to a good start challenge against minnesota but i think that the rest of that non-conference is pretty good and the home games after michigan and the schedule sets up to kind of catch some rhythm if you stub your toe versus you know i remember when they played michigan then they you know then they played minnesota then they played ohio state then they played iowa they was like hey you're going through the meat grinder right schedule and opportunity sets up for Nebraska this year. Absolutely. We love to hear it. Um, last thing we want to talk to you about is a little bit about your NFL experience. What was it like getting drafted? Can you take us through like that entire process? Man, I'll tell you what, uh, if I had to do it again, I might've left my junior year, man. You know, like I didn't know, I, you know, to be honest with you, these guys come in uh, and, and talk about the NFL uh, as freshmen they shouldn't, but I didn't think about the NFL really until the last play I played at Nebraska. Um, I kind of felt like, Hey, I started here for four years. I've played against NFL players done. Well, I'll get a chance, you know, but you know, really if I went out my junior year, there wasn't a lot of linebackers. I came out my senior year and there was a lot of linebackers, but I, you know, I went to the combine, uh, tested out well, you know, ran like a four, six, three, you know, 36 inch vertical, um, and, you know, I, you know, I was projected anywhere from second to, you know, fifth round. So, you know, as soon as I heard that second to fifth round, I'm only <laughs> focusing on the second round. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? You know, I wasn't <laughs> focusing on the sixth round. And so, uh, you know, the first three rounds was the first night. And, you know, I didn't think I knew I wasn't going first round. So I was just chilling, you know, down there. I was actually in Frederick, Maryland with all my family. Second round comes and I kind of knew who I had interviewed with and interviewed well that needed linebackers didn't get drafted the Ricky Williams trade kind of messed up the whole draft third round came and I'd interviewed with the Carolina Panthers and the Eagles I think like four times in Cleveland worked me out and everything I'm like oh them three places I'm going all on drafted linebackers except for Carolina Carolina called me at the after the third round was like we're gonna draft your linebacker coaches yeah actually the Sam Mills like I want, I want you, you, my guy. And, uh, you know, they drafted somebody else. And then I wanted to go to the Redskins, you know, at the time, uh, where the commanders now, cause I'm, that's where I'm from. And they drafted somebody else. And I was like, Oh man, I don't even know. Then I'm like, Hey, then I'm like, F the NFL. I don't even want to play, you know, cause I'm going late, you know? And then, uh, 
there's two places I didn't want to go, right? Now, this is dumb of me. Now, I played at Nebraska. I'm thinking, like, I want to go play where there's sun at. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's two places I didn't interview, Green Bay and Buffalo. Everywhere else I interviewed, right? So I'm like, cool, you know, there's two places. They didn't interview me. They were kind of stacked at linebacker. I'm good, you know. Everybody should, you know, who wants, you know, should want a linebacker. Man, I'm late in the fifth round, man. I don't care if the the Mars, you know, Martians, you know, were coming to draft me. I was ready to go. Yeah. I had a cell phone and an uncle of mine had called and asked me, like, why you ain't getting drafted? I was like, dude, I got to go. Well, anyways, 716 came up on my cell phone. I had a Nextel at that time. And I was like, 716? I don't know that number. You know, just answered it. It was Buffalo. It was the best feeling ever, man. I mean, I broke out in tears. My dad was excited. And, uh, you know, it was great to be drafted. You know, they were stacked at linebacker, but I came in and carved my way out or way in the league, and it was the best thing for me. They uh, played me a lot in the preseason, uh, learned a lot, played special teams. Next thing you know, somebody got hurt, then I ended up starting for, you know, the next six years. So as disappointed as I was to go, I guess, later than I thought I should, um, I was extremely motivated to go into Buffalo and prove myself. So I think it, it you know, it's no different than Nebraska, right? Kind of getting overlooked, make it, and uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. Those are the best stories. That's awesome. Yeah. So kind of talking about like the hardship and kind of like the didn't really get drafted like where you wanted to round wise. What was your biggest like I made it moment in the NFL? Uh, well, I guess when you played your first game, you know, um you know, a real game, not preseason, you know, I mean, nobody gets drafted where they want, you know, generally if you don't go number one, but I, I mean, I felt like I proved over my career, I probably should have went a little higher. So, you know, I think that's a good thing to hang my hat on, but my, you know, it was probably, we played up in Seattle um, and you know, I ran down on kickoff and, you know, actually I got my bell rung, got my head knocked off. Uh, so that was my aha moment. All right, I'm in the league, but I think it was my first start, you know, and really doing well. And then, you know, what really happened for me was playing consistently for a couple of games. And really, to be honest with you, Ralph Wilson, when he used to come into the locker room, he would have to have to look up and see who, you know, whose name of that was in the locker, right? You know, he didn't know who I was. Then it became, he knew who I was. And then, then I never lost that confidence. You know what I mean? Like, I know I can play at this level because you're always kind of wondering. And then once you get that validation within yourself, then the, you know, then the sky's the limit. That's awesome. Um, my last question for you is something that I've just been thinking a lot about lately. Um, were contract debates as big of a deal then as they are now? Like, obviously the NFL, no. like, it's like a, it's a whole year long movie. I feel like. Right. Yeah, I didn't well, look. I didn't have any uh, social media to scrub them off of social media. You know, the best thing I could have done with Buffalo was throw away a couple of little like short shorts that they had. You know, to make that let them know I'm mad, send it back to them. Uh, you know, after a workout. But no, the CBA wasn't as strong. the The ability to make money and influence the fans and the you know the sponsors outside of football. It was the only guys that got any money outside of the contracts was quarterbacks because those are the guys you saw without your helmet. So it's a totally different. I remember I always tell people, look, when I got to Buffalo, they gave me a pack of gum and a smack on the butt and said, welcome to Buffalo. They gave me a big contract. And, uh, you know, when I was tendered, you know, it was a fifth round tender, which was the low tender. So, you know, you know, you had to prove it and, uh, you know, it's a different game now, but you know, you know, I'm happy for these guys to get paid, but definitely, you know, if I was in this time, I'd be 
strategic about how I'm going to, you know, have longevity and make as much money as possible, you know, the NFL. And they, and that's what you see a lot of guys doing. I remember Kyler Murray, when he was up for his contract, he took, a, you know, the Arizona Cardinals off of his social media. Next thing you know, a month later, he gets a huge contract that obviously he has underperformed for. So, you know, different positions get paid. I was a linebacker. So, you know, it was kind of like, if you're not Ray Lewis, Junior Seau, or those type of guys, you know, you kind of had to tread water softly, right? You know, whereas now you start, and if I played at the level that I played now, you can kind of pick and choose how it goes. You know, you have you got a lot more bargaining power. So it's a lot different. But, um, you know, look, as times have changed, the NFL is huge, you know, right now. And I think the NBA was probably there. You know, Jordan was still around, Shaq and Kobe, you know, so NFL's really uh, taken off. Yep. You got any more? That's all I got. All right, Jay, this has been awesome. I was going to say, uh, if you if you dust off the rust on the clubs, maybe we could get around in soon. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, I'm going to hold you to it, man. I like that. Listen, listen we'll, it might not be good golf, but it'll be a good time. Hey, we love it. Absolutely. I can, I can promise it. you it's good. We're going to have fun. Golf, not so much. Hey, you're on for it, man, especially after a day like today. I'm going to hold you to it, man. And if I see you in the morning, man, we'll definitely uh, – or at the gym. Uh, we'll have to go get our little bro pump on, get some arm curls in or something. Sure. I'm 100%. In. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Jay. Um, we really appreciate you coming on, and we'll see you later, man. All right, dudes. Take it easy. Yep. Appreciate yeah. it. All right. Thank you, Jay Foreman. What a legend. Yeah. That's a guy who just everything he loves Husker football. Yeah. And he's just, he's just the guy. Yeah. He's just a guy like you just want to have a conversation with, mm-hmm. play around with play a quick round hopefully we can play around with him soon yeah but yeah shout out jay thank you for coming on we appreciate it two men today not a ton to talk about so we're just gonna jump into recap of the final four of the national championship game um where do you want to start i guess fau san diego state yeah it was all these games just blend together in my mind it was i didn't see that game coming because it was fau was up by like 14 in the second half i think yeah and sdsu came back fau was just a good team yeah it's and i i had them out in the first round to i did too so that's just that's march for you and fau almost didn't there was like a kind of a 50 50 call i think it was on a jump ball against memphis yes they called the jump ball yep FAU gets it. I got screwed in that game. Yeah, so I mean, if they don't call a jump ball, or if Memphis gets it, if possession arrows to Memphis, mm-hmm. FAU doesn't get there, and then who knows what yep. we get in the final. They hit a buzzer beater Yeah, to win that game. So, I mean, that's just March. Like, a team can get hot, and I know we were talking about this earlier, but, you know, that's the beauty of March. Yeah, it's... With 68 teams, it's hard... Like, I came away from this March Madness tournament not knowing who the four best teams were. Mm-hmm. I think UConn beats most teams in the other side of their bracket, on the same side of their bracket as well as on the other side. Mm-hmm. Unless you get, like, an Alabama who plays out, like a good Brandon Miller, a yeah. healthy Alabama team. I think UConn beats almost all of those teams. Yeah. But it's just... You don't really know 
some years, you don't know who the best teams were. Mm-hmm. I would much rather have the 68-team format than go down teams or add more teams. I don't think – I think adding more, there's just more chances that you walk away from it saying, did we get the best four games? Yep. Because, I mean, the title game was a snooze fest. I, it was. I didn't watch all It was not a good game. I but... was like, I'm not going to lose sleep over yeah. UConn – just seeing how much UConn wins by. And I knew this tournament was going to be like this because there there were teams that were very good. Alabama was very good. Houston right. was very good. Purdue was dropping at the end, but at one point they were very good. Yeah. But there were no teams that you could tell were going to run away with the tournament. Right. And so that's why, I mean, I really like the tournament this year. I know some people, you know, have the opposite opinion, but it's fun when in sports normally – there's teams that you know are always going to be there, and it's cool when you know anything can happen. Yeah, I think it was a good tournament because we got we had a 15, we had a 16. It was an entertaining tournament, is what I should say. I don't know, I didn't love how it ended. I just, I don't know. I like when you get the. F- I would love like it's going to sound like boring, but I would love the four one seeds if those are the, actually the four best teams. Mm-hmm. I would love to see who, you know, are the four best teams that, every, like, the committee agreed on. Yeah. But I know that's not basketball. It's not played on a spreadsheet. So I think it was entertaining. I think UConn, I would have walked away very disappointed if it was SDSU, I think, just because yeah. I, in order for them to win, UConn would have had to play horrible. Mm-hmm. And I would have walked away saying there's just no way that th- that's the best team that would beat all 67 other teams. I feel like there hasn't been that much of a dominant performance by a team in March in a while. Yeah, didn't they win all of their games by double digits? Yeah, just killed everyone. And yeah. none of the games were even really close. No. So, like, it's hard to say that they weren't the best team mm-hmm. because, what, they were a four four seed four or five yeah four i think so i mean it's not like a 12 seed won it that just got super hot in march right i mean i'm happy with it i i don't agree with the take of like that it's a bad system or like a bad format because with obviously that many teams you get a team that gets hot that comes out of nowhere Mm -hmm. like you know an fau who was good all year nobody heard about them because they're in conference usa right but i mean they lost four games all year so it's hard to say like they weren't a good team Mm -hmm. but i don't know it's we kind of knock college football playoff because there's only four teams but outside of one or two other teams typically are getting the four unanimous best teams. yeah that's a good point which i don't love the four team playoff because i think they're more often than not, there's at least six to eight teams that are deserving of going to the playoffs. So I wouldn't say, you know, we need to cut it down to you know 16 teams. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't want more just because I get it's more basketball. It's more games in March. But I think then you start getting into like, obviously, I would have loved Nebraska to make a run in, you know, the tournament. Right. But, I mean, if Nebraska makes a final four like this year i mean they played it was a great year you know they got hot but i would have been like 
Is Nebraska really the fourth best team in the country? Probably not. Right. So, I don't know. I don't think it's something where we need to change anything. I don't think it's, like, a bad system. Just mm-hmm. that's. I mean, that's the tradition of March. Like, those that Thursday-Friday is the best day in sports. Right. Just because you have so much going on. Anything can happen. Literally, in this year, anything can happen. Yeah. Like, FDU beats Purdue. Like, just stories like that are, are yeah, awesome. Yeah, it is. Going to miss it. Yeah. I don't know. I Like I said, wouldn't change it for... My only complaint about March is I don't like how after the... What is it? I guess between the Elite Eight and the Final Four, there's like almost a week off. Because I get in basketball mode where I'm watching basketball all day. And then there's, there's only a couple Friday. games. Then, you know, it cuts down. The Sweet 16 is still fine because there's still four games in a day. Right. And then when you get that week off, I started to lose interest a little bit. Yeah. Because, I mean, that Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's Sunday. like a adrenaline high. Yeah. And then you get it taken away. And it's like, this yeah. sucks. I, I, I think they should cut the week down. I do, too. Because I also don't think it should ever be... College sports should never be played on a Monday. Yes. Because all all year, I guess college basketball, they have games on Mondays. But, like, meaningful games aren't on Mondays. Mm-hmm. It's the same with college football. You don't play a single college football game on a Monday. Why is the national championship on? And, like, worst case scenario happened with, like, TV rights, I feel like, this year. Because you had UConn, Eastern Time. Yeah. San Diego State. Pacific time, right? It had to, it was an eight twenty tip off. That was late for me. I was like, oh, that's like because I I saw people on Twitter complaining about how it's too late for people on the East Coast, or how like if you played it at you know seven, that's five o'clock on the West Coast, San Diego State. Those people are just getting off work, so those people are either having to like miss part of the day or miss part of the game. I didn't think about that, yeah. But the problem with the start on Eastern time is UConn fans now have to stay up till like, midnight. Obviously, if your team's going to win a national championship... You don't care. You don't care. But, like, if UConn... If a UConn fan stays up and then loses and it's now midnight... And you have to go to work. And you're probably not in the best state to just go right to bed because <laughs> yeah. you just lost a national championship. Maybe under the influence a little bit. Yeah, you're not that six o'clock alarm hits because traffic and there you're not getting to work. Terrible. No. So I don't know. Like even if it's on a Sunday, because you can play it, you can still Earlier. play it at seven. Yeah. Like central, because people aren't at work on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that might have been. I would love to. I don't know what the ratings were, but I don't know. It's. I didn't think those were – I didn't think SDSU was the second-best team this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the boys down bad bracket, possibly worse than last year. It was bad. It was – we've had two – we've done it two years, and they've both been terrible. Um, so hopefully next year we get a little better. I think next year I might not fill out, like, a personal bracket until we do the boys down bad bracket. Do the opposite. Well, <laughs> more because I get, like, this year I was so, it's Alabama, it's Alabama. If it's not Alabama, it's, you know, 
it's Creighton or it's somebody else. I, and I just go into it with such like a closed mindset of I filled out three brackets already and it's been either Alabama or somebody else. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, well, I come into this thinking I think it's Alabama. Yeah. So I have to convince everybody else yeah. it's Alabama. So maybe next year we, you know, everybody, you got to do the bracket right away on Sunday. But let's try and limit the brackets we do on Sunday. Yeah. Coming with a little bit more open mind. I agree. Because I fell into the Alabama trap. Yeah. Chris did too. Yeah. So, so we yeah. apologize. It good, wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect, but good tournament. It was fun. Um, I guess we should talk a little bit about the Masters. It'll be going on when this episode airs. Yep. Um, just briefly. You have a couple picks for the people? Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to say Scotty Scheffler, Rory, or John Rahm. I think it's either – I think it's Rory. I think he's figured out the putter. I think he's figured out the driver. If you want to get wild and take a live guy, I think it's Cam Smith. Mm-hmm. I don't think the 54-hole going to 72-hole fatigue is going to really happen. He was really the only guy that you can say left at his peak to go to live. Yep. And then I like like Max Homa, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, like top five, top tens. Yep. Just kind of, I don't think, we were kind of talking about it before. It's kind of like if you just take the top 20 guys, put them on a dartboard, throw a dart, you have just as good of a chance. Yeah, the Masters is a tournament where typically, you know, a blue blood type player is probably going to win. Yeah. Even when Hideki won, like he's... He's really a good. really good player. Yeah, so you're not gonna the Flyers aren't gonna hit very often in at the Masters. Yeah, because so. I was just talking to Court and I was like, I don't think we're gonna see like a Mito Pereira be in the mix at Augusta, where at Southern Hills he was able to kind of make his way. Augusta is just not a place. I don't think it's gonna be anybody who's like it's their first time, so that wipes out, you know five to ten guys mm-hmm. i think it's probably not your for like second or third masters either and it's like we were just kind of talking before you have to drive the ball very straight you have to hit both like draw and fade it hit it far you have to be able to putt really well so it's like you just have to be a really good golfer you to just win. have to be a good golfer to win at augusta yeah so it's like <laughs> all of these guys are good golfers because they're professionals but like a I love Kevin Kisner, but I just I don't think he can even get it around the trees on thirteen. Yeah. To have a chance. And I feel like there are just certain holes where you have to be a guy who can hit it really long and hit it both ways. You have to be a Bryson DeChambeau who said par sixty seven. Yeah, he's slimmed down. He has. Because he was having stomach issues. Yeah. And then he had the wrist proteins. thing. Yeah. I don't know. I it's weird, like I don't think it's as weird as I thought it was going to be with the live guys. Yeah, I just, it'll be interesting if one of them wins. How yeah. the how go, the golf world takes it. I think Norman said that if a live golfer wins it, the other because there's 18 total live guys there, all 17 will be there to congratulate him. And I said, if Phil misses the cut. <laughs> There's no chance he stays in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, no way. He's getting on the first flight home. Yep. Same with, like, Brooks. If Brooks misses the cut, he's not staying. No. That, yeah. I hate that. I don't even, I wouldn't want him to. No. That, that would be dumb. Unless you're on, 
like their team because they're all on teams. Like, yeah. Then I'd be like, all right, if I'm on, if I'm a Brooks Kepka, I don't know who else is on his team, but say like Cam Smith is. If Cam Smith wins, maybe I stay because Cam Smith is making me money. Yeah. That's the only thing is like, if one of your teammates is going to win, you're profiting off of them every single week. Yeah, but you also lost your teammate. Yeah. That's, that's just the thing with golf. It's an it's not a team sport. It never will be. Yeah. Except for Ryder Cup and presidents. Right. But I don't know. I don't. I just don't see like a flyer. Like if I'm going to take a flyer, it's going to be Tiger Woods. Like yeah, just for fun. Yeah. I just like in other majors where if a course suits somebody's game like really well, you can take a flyer. Like I feel like at the Open, if a guy hits it really straight and puts it really well, yeah, they can win there because you don't have to do everything perfect. You can kind of get away with some stuff. Mm-hmm. But I guess it it's going to be a blue blood guy and like. I guess if you're gonna, if it's gonna be a flyer, might as well be Tiger because yeah, he's either gonna miss the cut or he's gonna be in contention. Would you classify Max Homa as a flyer? I think he's right on the line. I'd probably say yes because he doesn't have a major. He's yeah, he's playing so well right now. It's like yeah, I guess that's probably the flyer. I think it, his confidence, if you consider is extremely high, if you consider Homa a flyer, then. That's who I would take. Yeah, I too. didn't even think of him I as like a flyer. Him yeah, he he is right on the right on the line. I think, but because he's got to he's top ten in the world. I would assume, if not, it's a good question. Wish we had a fact check guy. Yeah, would be nice. But yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be one of those three guys. I think it's hard to repeat. I would love to see Rory because that he get the Grand Slam. Then mm-hmm. we're. Uh, Approaching the end of an all-time sports run for the year, because we had Super Bowl into March Madness, now the Masters. After this, it's going to drop off a little bit. Yeah, so... So soak it in. If you know anybody who might be a good guest, if you've got any connections, mm-hmm. let us know. Yeah. Or else we're going to get very... It's not going to be a lot of sports. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should have some, some more, like pop culture guests good maybe skis that'd be great maybe a will compton <laughs> if will compton wants to come on he's more than welcome correct so or maybe jay foreman hit gets some other guys yeah who knows our buddy jay yeah um should we do roulette Finish yeah the show i'm gonna go with 24 obviously uh Trevin has 35. Chris has 20. Tommy did not give a number. So he, I guess, is ineligible. So that just leaves you. Come on, 24. 25. Oh, 25. That sucks. That would have been my second. It was one away from two. One spot away from two. Classic. Dang it. That's tough. Should we... The pot increases. Yeah. Not going to send what number it was. We'll see who responds on Friday of the boys to see who watched the episode. Of what boys? 
Boys. Oh, of the boys. The boys. Okay. I like that. We'll just see. See what happens. See who watches the whole thing. (laughs) All right. Thank you again to Jay Foreman. Awesome dude. Legend. Really good interview. Really good interview. Stories. Yeah, great stories. That's all I got. All right. Let's just hope for a good tournament. We're going to get a blue blood. Yep. Another another one of my favorite weeks of the year. Yeah. It's an, another elite Thursday, Friday. Yep. And then we won't, we'll be listening to it on Saturday. Yep. And then Sunday, Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, too. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Easter is one that always just comes up. Sneaks up on you. Yeah. I did not know it was Easter Sunday until about two weeks ago. Yeah. When we signed up for that scramble, I didn't realize it was the weekend of I did Easter. not either. Had no clue. Nope. That's on us. Yeah. It's also on Easter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How dare Easter sneak up on us like that? Just set a day. Feel like Christmas. Yeah. Well. Time. It is what it is. <laughs> Time's a crazy thing. All right. This is the Boys Down Bad Podcast. I'm Dylan. Peters. Have yourselves a top 10 weekend. Heard at Sports Network Production.